Welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear leading thinkers from our university and around the world. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a beautiful early spring evening, I guess, in Australia. Our guest tonight, Professor Nasif Kasub, has come from Canada, so this is delightful, I think, weather-wise. Um, and Professor Kasup is a Canadian mathematician working in the fields of nonlinear analysis and partial differential equations. Uh, he's a professor of mathematics and a distinguished university scholar at the University of British Columbia. He did his graduate work at the Pierre and Marie Curie University, where his advisor was Gustave Choquet. And he was vice president of the Canadian Mathematical Society from 1994 to 1996. He was the founding director of the Pacific Institute for the Mathematical Sciences, also known as PIMS, for, from uh, 1996 to 2003. And he was a co-founder of the Mathematics of Information Technology and Complex Systems Network, which is colloquially known as MITAX. Um, and he's the founder and current scientific director of the Banff International Research Station, which is called BERS. And it's in, um, up in Canada, and it is absolutely beautiful. If you ever get the chance, you should go. Um, it's a wonderful uh, center which was funded by very enlightened governments <laughs> uh, who understood the value of the creative arts and who counted the mathematical sciences as a creative art, which I think is really, really important. Uh, anyhow, I'm going off script here. So in 2012, he became a fellow of the American Mathematical Society. And in 2015, he was awarded the Order of Canada with a grade of officer for contributions to maths, research, and education. And you can probably understand why. So tonight, he's going to tell us all about mathematical heroes and social justice from victims to hellraisers. Um, he'll talk for about 45 to 55 minutes, and then there'll be the opportunity for questions. So please think of questions while he's speaking. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. I think you should expect a phone call from me next time. I have to renew the funding for the Banff International Research Station because you know how to explain its interest more than me. <coughs> Uh, it's, I'm delighted to be here. It's my six weeks in uh, Australia and Sydney. Thank you, Jackie and Leo, for organizing this wonderful trip. It's too bad it's my last few days. I have to go home. Um, so my talk today, uh, as you see, the title. Um, let me start with a word of caution. Of caution. Uh, the talk may appear sometimes as a lecture on the history of mathematics. Um, I am not a historian of mathematics. I'm not actually very knowledgeable uh, about it. Um, the topic uh, came about because uh, my kids, my own kids, find me weird. Um, why? Well, because to them, I, uh, I'm not what I'm supposed to be um, in terms of opinions, convictions, values, um, <clears throat> human and social values. 
And as I was trying to self-analyze and explain why is it so, it dawned on me that what, that, uh, what uh, it was more, what if I was more a byproduct of the mathematical culture as opposed to my own cultural background in, my, in terms of my values and my reaction to things. So it's not only as a student or scholar of mathematics, but also in, in the expected way. Um, but if my own values, uh, human and social, have been influenced, even dictated in a certain way by mathematics, more precisely by mathematical heroes of mine. <clears throat> so what do I mean by this? When you're not what you're supposed to be, at least to your family and kids, and obviously to friends, but the friends you don't they don't tell you. So here's a sample. Hey, Dad, uh, when did you become uh, so liberal about sexual orientation? Um, well, because any reasonable person would too had they known about Alan Turing, the master of the imitation game, as you've seen maybe most of you in the movie. Why do you care so much about race? You would too, had you known about hidden figures such as Katherine Johnson and her computing colleagues at NASA. Again, there's a movie now about it. But what do you think about the stigmatization of uh, mental health, mental illness? Uh, because I know its ravages on beautiful minds such as John Nash, Ludwig Boltzmann, Kurt Godel, but also much closer to home, people like Andreas Fleur and Mark Cure, who are friends and colleagues. But you come from a place where bigotry leads to civil wars. Yes, because everyone needs to know about the victims of anti-Semitism and the ravages of the Holocaust. Like Felix Hausdorff and Hermann Minkowski and so many other mathematicians. So you see the pattern. And what did you, when did you become a feminist? according to my daughters, well, no one can accept the stories of gender discrimination against mathematicians such as Hypatia, of Alexandria, Sophie Germain, Amy Noether, but also physicists like Lisa Lisa Meitner and Vera Rubin, who just passed away last year, the woman who the Nobel Prize Committee forgot after many, many nominations. So you see the pattern. Mathematicians' awareness of social justice issues run deep. And be it for all these uh, issues that have been debated, especially recently in society, uh, especially in, after the election of you know who and you know where, Human rights, denial, racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, homophobia, gender discrimination, and the stigmatization of mental illness, which is, as far as I'm concerned, is also another form of discrimination. So, my premise is that 
this is because mathematicians learn and live these challenges through their lives of their mathematical heroes. And you already saw a sample of these heroes. And I personally, as a mathematician, I realize and I relate to these issues, to these questions, by just illustrating, or the people that I know, and I know from graduate school, I know from the mathematics, of all these geniuses, really, that had to be, uh, that were victims of this kind of uh, discriminations. So, this is good, but then, a word of caution. So today is Halloween, and I just saw this on Twitter, timely. Of course, as a, as a mathematician, I start to try to develop a theory after, you know, generalization theory about that this is really social science now. And of course, my colleagues and I start finding counterexamples to my theory that, after all, not all mathematical giants were angels. So, um, <clears throat> so that's a, a note of caution. We have counterexamples here. So please don't take all this seriously. Um, I hope they didn't pay, are they gonna ask for their money back or something? No, they didn't pay, okay. <laughs> so if you are to take anything uh, out of this talk, is it's a new, it's a few stories about some of uh, our mathematical heroes uh, over the centuries and uh, actually millennia, okay, just. Um, but for me that was really the, beginning of my reasoning about this kind of thought. So, let's call them chapters. I don't think I'm going to be writing a book about this for right now, but uh, let's go back to the questioning. Hey, Dad, you're supposed to be a nerd. Mathematicians are nerds in principle, yet you are a hell raiser. But then I answer is then you need to learn about Evariste Galois, about Israel Halperin, David Mumford, Laurent Schwartz, Evariste Galois. I know there are many professional mathematicians here and you know about Evariste Galois, but for those who are not familiar with our characters, our heroes, uh, Evariste Galois is maybe the most romanticized uh, mathematicians over the centuries. Why? Because he died at the age of 21 in a duel. People say it's because of a woman. But the story also says that the night he has this mathematical theory in his mind, a Galois theory, which is one of the deepest theories that's still practiced now and researched and extended and generalized, etc., and understood. Um, that he wrote it the night of the, the duel, assuming that he assumed that he knew that he was going to die because he was not, he was not very good at um, <coughs> guns and stuff like that. So, um, but Evariste Galois was a hellraiser. Uh, so he died at the age of 21, but before that, he managed to be, put himself in jail to get himself in trouble six times. So he was in jail six times, and. Thank goodness for this, because this is the only place where he could do mathematics, he could focus. 
he was, uh, he led um, uh, all kinds of revolts at the Ecole Normale Supérieure. He was in, uh, against the monarchy. He didn't want the monarchy to come back after the demise of Napoleon. So he was really a hellraiser. You know, he, he cared about the republic. So that's the story of uh, Evariste Galois. And, um, and the true story about the duel is that he was really, it was a setup by the police. He was provoked into a duel, uh, and that was the uh, easiest way for the police to get him killed because they got some professional to duel with him. And uh, that's the story of Evariste Galois, which is very sad. And this is a manuscript that supposedly he wrote the night of his uh, death. And, uh, essentially his mathematical testament. <clears throat> so uh, this is Ivaris Galois. Another story is Israel Halperin, maybe less known even among the mathematicians here. He's a Canadian mathematician. Um, during the war, he worked for the National Research Council in the research. But just uh, a year or so after the war, they uh, discovered his name or his address um, or his phone in the uh, agenda or, uh, of, of one Soviet spy. So the Canadian uh, RCMP, whatever, they got on his case and for many years they gave him the hardest time, jailed, and, uh, even though he was totally innocent. Um, and, uh, so after that, he eventually got out of, his, of this uh, mess uh, of the injustice of the Canadian system then, and he became a human rights crusader. He was an incredible guy. He, um, well, he worked in C-star algebra for the mathematicians who were interested, and he was a f the only student of John von Neumann. He was in C-star algebra like, uh, like our director here. Uh, he was the only student of John uh, von Neumann. And, uh, but he worked for the release of, uh, uh, I remember, uh, uh, of Uruguayan uh, scientist who was imprisoned, uh, uh, Jose Luis Macera. He worked on behalf of Soviet scientists uh, Orlov and Sharonsky uh, against uh, the torture of prisoners in, uh, in Chile under Pinochet. But he was an incredible guy because he had an organization called the International Campaigns for Human Rights. It was a one-man show. So he was the institution. And he would collect signatures from Nobel Prize winners all over the world, uh, dozens of them, for his petitions. Just, uh, so he's, uh, he's an amazing figure in Canadian mathematics. And, and his children, all of them, are very successful uh, research scientists. Uh, somebody who is more contemporary, David Mumford, his Fields Medalist, giant of algebraic geometry. Um, and, um, and he's uh, multi-talented. He studied algebraic geometry. Now he does vision and uh, image processing, artificial intelligence, uh, much more applied mathematics. Uh, but he's, he's uh, committed to the developing world, the developing science, mathi uh, mathematics in the developing world, and also uh, for human rights. For example, when he got the Wolf Prize in, uh, um, in Jerusalem in 2008, 
Uh, he announced right away that he was giving uh, the price. Uh, I can't remember the, how much it is, $100,000, $200,000. Half of it went to uh, Birzet University in the Palestinian territories, and the other half went to an Israeli uh, <coughs> peace organization, Israel, uh, Gisha. So this is uh, another uh, more contemporary activist for human rights. Laurent Schwartz, my mentor, uh, I was a student in Paris when he was still um, practicing uh, leadership on many levels, on scientific level, but also on the human rights level. And he has a beautiful book, Mathematicien au prise avec le siècle, if you, I think it's translated to English, Mathematicians uh, uh, in, uh, what is it, the translation in English, uh, um, in grip of century, uh, in yeah, something of that sort. Um, he was a French uh, Jewish mathematician. He escaped the Nazis by calling himself the Protestant name of Laurent Marie Celie Martin. That's how he managed to escape the Nazis during the war, survive the war. He was a Trotskyist, but he, he fought against colonialism of all kinds uh, in Indochina, in Algeria, when was uh, French in Algeria, and later uh, against the Soviet Union, uh, Afghanistan. Um, so he was such a uh, dog activist, like in Algeria, his student, Maurice Audin, put the name here to remember, um, PhD student, uh, he was caught and tortured by the French forces in Algeria, but he fought hard for two years, he raised hell, so that he can organize a posthumous PhD defense of his student in Paris uh, right after the Algerian uh, revolution was over. Um, he went to Vietnam four or five times during the war. He taught mathematics under the bombs in Hanoi. He met Ho Chi Minh many times. So, uh, I mean, think about the time, how, how, how much courage this takes. And then when he got the Fields Medal, the International Congress, where the medal was supposed to be given, was, I think it was in, in Boston, in the U.S. Of course, he was denied a visa by the Americans. They don't have anything to do with him. But the French delegation rebelled. They refused to take the boat uh, to go to New York or Boston. And then eventually, uh, the diplomacy worked. And then at the last minute, he got a visa. So this is uh, uh, Laurent Schwartz, another amazing activist who was in my own inspiration. Well, I didn't have to go to Hanoi, luckily, but... Uh, uh, the second topic is what about the ravages of mental illness? And again, I'm trying to... Uh, to justify that how, you know, these mathematical heroes, how much influence they have on you implicitly or explicitly or um, on us mathematicians because we respect so much their talent and their work and their achievement that when they do something on the side, you pay attention uh, and you get inspired or you get depressed uh, or all of, of the above. John Nash, the, again, the, the book, A Beautiful Mind and the movie uh, made him known outside the scientific world. I say scientific world because he got the Nobel Prize in economics. And then in 94, 
Then he got the Abel Prize in Mathematics 2015, uh, just two years ago. Um, a remarkable figure, but these three words uh, summarize his life. Tragic, useful, very useful. His achievements, scientific achievements are amazing. And fascinating. Well, fascinating because in 1948, he applied to school, to graduate school at Princeton. And the recommendation letter came with one sentence in it. He is a mathematical genius. A few years later, he was on the cover of Life magazine as a genius of the century, 1957. 1959, he was in a psychiatric hospital. 1970, a few years later, he started to recover a little bit. Then he went to start going back to uh, Princeton, to the Department of Mathematics, called Fine Hall. But he would walk around, and they called him the Phantom of Fine Hall in Princeton. Um, no one will talk to I mean, of course, they will talk to him if, if he approached them, but he was by himself. Uh, but everybody's showing reverence and, and respect for, for this beautiful mind. And then he recovered slowly uh, from his uh, uh, state. And um, eventually, he was given the Nobel Prize in 1994. Uh, for his work in uh, game theory because it was so influential in economics that uh, so many economists won the Nobel Prize after him just for applying his, his uh, game theory methods. So this is uh, John Nash, one of our heroes. Less known to you, to, uh, but not to physicists and mathematicians, of course, is Austrian mathematician Ludwig Edward Boltzmann. He's a founder of statistical mechanics. Again, he suffered from mental illness, but he was an amazing, he's a genius. This is uh, his entropy formula, which is on, <laughs> inscribed on his tombstone, which is a, uh, many people go in pilgrimage to his uh, tombstone to, to see it in, uh, in Vienna. Cedric uh, Villani, I'm sure he has given many talks about, about uh, Ludwig uh, Boltzmann. Uh, and then um, and one day he um, hung himself uh, unexpectedly uh, um, and near Trieste. So, uh, another story is uh, Kurt Godel, who's again uh, escaped Germany uh, because he didn't want to be enlisted in World War II. He came to Princeton. He was a good friend of um, uh, Einstein. And he did a revolution in mathematics by proving things that no one thought that he proved. He proved essentially that the axioms of set theory, the axioms of mathematics as we practice it, were not um, sufficient uh, to, um, um, were not sufficient for, for, for our mathematical uh, uh, framework or basis. So uh, he did a, he was an incredible intellect, but then, uh, for some reason, he he stopped. He started worrying about being poisoned, and he wouldn't eat food, but food cooked by his wife Adele. And uh, and this was fine for a few years, but then Adele was hospitalized one day, 
and she had to be in the hospital. She couldn't cook for him, and he stopped eating. And he essentially died from lack of nutrition. He was 29 kilos when he uh, uh, died. His death certificate said he died of malnutrition caused by personality disturbance. So this is uh, another giant of mathematical world. So what do you get from this? I mean, for me, I mean, these are teachable moments. I'm uh, watching and sometimes witnessing how such intellectual uh, giants succumb to mental illness is, is humbling in a way and harrowing. It's, uh, uh, but also tells us that uh, we should really uh, call mental illness uh, stigma, what it really is. It's really another form of discrimination like everything else that uh, I mentioned before. But same goes for xenophobia. Also, as you know, the recent trend of stigmatizing non-conforming diasporas uh, everywhere without going into details. But from the mathematical world, we have Ramanujan. Um, again, there's a movie now. See, it's very fashionable to make movies about, about mathematicians. Um, and um, eccentric mathematicians, but also brilliant ones. So the man who knew infinity. Uh, amazing guy, again, a young man in his teenagers, in his teen years uh, from Madras, and uh, mathematical um, truth started coming down on him. And he assumed that he says a goddess, that there's a god or goddess, actually, he called it, that's really giving him all this uh, information at night when you wake up in the morning. And sure enough, because he, he wrote formulas, he discovered mathematics that no one thought it's possible to discover. But he wanted to learn more, and then he sent his discoveries to, to, uh, discover to Hardy, who was a big shot at Cambridge. And and Hardy gets all kind of, uh, well, spam mail. They didn't have email then, but uh, you get people telling him that they solved this and that. He, he never opened his letters. But he opened once a letter coming from Madras for this year, and he was astonished by these uh, uh, mathematical formulas and discoveries. So he invited them over and he came to Cambridge. But in Cambridge, um, uh, Ramanujan suffered from humiliations, aggressions, racism, uh, xenophobia. He was beaten up in the streets sometimes. So um, he had, and he was he had a huge difficulties getting getting elected to the Royal Society. Even though eventually he got elected, because Hardy worked very hard. And, um, and also to a fellow of Trinity College. So this is a story of uh, Ramanujan. I don't need to say more because you can go and see the movie. <coughs> racism. Okay, I mean, racism. Uh, it's uh, no need to single out maybe mathematicians here, but uh, uh, let me 
tell you a little bit about the effect of racism on, on some mathematic, uh, mathematical talents in the US, at least in, uh, in the African-American community. Um, for example, David Blackwell. David Blackwell, he was at Princeton at the Institute with Einstein and Goodell during that time. But he was forbidden to take courses at university, at Princeton University next door because he was black. Of course, it's one of many, many, many stories about uh, segregations and uh, barriers to black mathematicians in the, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I mean, things change quite a bit now, but there's lots of stories about it. Uh, so I will not be, for example, I mean, the Department of Mathematics in Berkeley would not uh, recruit him. Eventually, the Department of Statistics recruited him because he had some few more enlightened uh, people uh, uh, that really could see beyond the race to, to hire David Blackwell. Uh, I already mentioned Catherine Johnson, if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, where she was really so key, crucial to the American space program when they were trying to compete with the Russians and Sputnik was already there and we are late, etc. And um, she was essentially computing the periodic orbits for, uh, for John Glenn. So I like this phrase that she's a mathematician who advanced human rights with a slide rule and pencil. Um, well, anti-Semitism. Maybe this is one of the most well-known uh, form of discrimination that uh, um, so, in mathematics, it was incredible. Between 1914 and 1933, the third of, of uh, German mathematicians were Jewish. But then, uh, when the Nazi came to power, they essentially uh, kicked him out in various ways. Uh, some committed suicide, like Felix Hausdorff, even though he, he converted to Christianity with his family, as he assumed that it's going to help him, but it didn't help. Uh, eventually, he, him and his family committed suicide before they, get, uh, they go to concentration camps. Some, and then others immigrated, as you know, many of them came to the US. Um, Göttingen, which was, Göttingen was uh, the capital of mathematics in the world at that time, um, so the Nazi education minister, Bernard Rost, uh, he came to visit after the expulsion of the Jewish mathematicians and he told the director, he asked him, was, was Göttingen really harmed by the expulsion of the Jews? And the director said, no, no, it, has not, it hasn't been harmed, sir. It has simply ceased to exist. This is... Uh, uh, in the U.S., this is much less known, about anti-Semitism in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, quotas about, against Jewish students, limiting their access to uh, post-secondary education. Uh, but there's a new book. Uh, I don't know how new it is, but it's, it's called The History in Sum, uh, written by Xing uh, S.T. Yao and somebody else, uh, Steve Nadis. And about anti-Semitism in Harvard, 
it's, it's, the, core, the book is really about 100, 150, years, 150 years of mathematics at Harvard, but uh, he talks about how George Birkhoff was a celebrated mathematician, another giant on the other hand, the book mentioned that how anti-Semitic he was because he, was, he, he refused to hire Jews. So that's why it's one country example to my premise that... Uh, okay, so anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union, uh, again, this is, this is well known uh, for many, you know, under Stalin, but then also in the 70s and uh, Brezhnev. Uh, it was a boon for the United States uh, and Israel uh, because all these people who are mathematicians and uh, you will recognize these uh, celebrities, uh, Kashdan, Katz, Shudnovsky, all of them came eventually immigrated to uh, the U.S. and uh, from the Soviet Union uh, because of anti-Semitism. So, I mean, these are really scourges that, that really hit our community, the community of mathematicians very, very hard. Victims of homophobia, Alan Turing, and back to it. Again, the movie is Imitation Game. So this is not uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, by the way. So this is <laughs> Alan. <laughs> and um, amazing mathematician, computer scientist, theoretical biologist. I mean, he's the father of artificial, artificial intelligence that everybody is talking about it now. He's the father of really computing as it's moving forward, not the computing that we know now, the future of computing and its effect on humanity. Um, so the, this guy is really among the, the, the giants. So 1952, they had this strange criminal uh, act in the UK about uh, homosexuality, and then he was indicted. Um, Okay, he, he died prematurely. People, 90% of the people think that it was suicide. 10% think it was an accident. But, uh, but he was a victim of homophobia. It was, it was clear. And, um, and he was giving a posthumous pardon only in 2013. But for years, thousands of people, scientists, mathematicians, computer scientists all over the world wrote, signed petitions. Hundreds of thousands of people sending petitions to the Her Majesty's government um, to, uh, to pardon. Only they did it only recently in 2013. Um, I think Cameron, right? Cam the, ironically, it was a Cameron. Excuse me? It was Gordon Brown. That's right, Gordon Brown, yes. The question now there remains 49,000 men in the UK indicted for the same offenses. And we think that they deserve the same pardon. Gender discrimination. One of the most popular figure when we talk about the subject of gender discrimination is Sophie Germain. Um, young woman pioneered elasticity theory, very hard theory. I work in PDE even till now. It's a very hard uh, aspect of partial differential equations. She also, she worked on uh, a number theory. She tried to solve Fermat's last year. Prejudice started with her parents. It's not appropriate for her to do mathematics, yet she was 
crazy about mathematics. She learned, she, uh, her, her, her father had few books about mathematics that she learned from his uh, library and then she, 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 but they wouldn't let her do mathematics. So they will ration ink and coal in her bedroom so that she doesn't work all night to prevent her from doing mathematics. But she persevered. Ecole Polytechnique, of course, was started by Napoleon as a meritocracy, but meritocracy, but only for men. Women could not get in, but she managed to befriend few of the guys of Polytechnique so that she can get the lecture notes and learn from them. But also she wanted to do the homework, but also she wanted to uh, submit the homework which eventually Lagrange was the, the main uh, big honcho, of, uh, if you will, of Ecole Technique at that time. Uh, eventually, he, she started corresponding with him, and he uh, adopted her in a certain way. French Academy prejudice there. French Academy has a habit of tradition then to, uh, to give prizes for people who can solve certain Problems. They would put a problem up there, and then somebody's on. And then she submitted several times uh, solutions, uh, maybe not totally perfect or complete solution, but still a major progress. Like in many math problems, you, you don't solve them right away the first time around. And sometimes she'll be the first. She'll put the have. She'll have the, the only submission, and they wouldn't give her the prize. So prejudice also in the academy. Um, but Lagrange, Legendre, and Fourier, who are one of the deities of mathematics, uh, uh, adopted her and they supported her. And somehow they could, they could see beyond their perceptions. And, uh, and this great talents, you feel that they could see uh, that when they see talent, somehow it, it helps them overlook their, their prejudices. So, um, her death certificate, well, eventually she got the prize of the academy, but she was not allowed in to go and get it. Only the wives of the academicians were allowed to the prize ceremony. So, she's, she was the wife of no, none of them, so she couldn't get in to get her own prize. Eventually, she befriended Joseph Fourier, Fourier of Fourier analysis of heat equation, who at that time, who became the head of the academy, and then he allowed her, and he got her tickets uh, to get into to the gala. So um, her death certificate says that she was a rentier, not a mathematician, property holder. On the Eiffel Tower, which is really a masterpiece of mathematics and engineering and material science and elasticity theory, therefore that means they used her modeling, etc., and her equations. So they put uh, the names somewhere, and I've never seen it somehow, even though I've been to the tower several times, of 72 scientists, mathematicians, engineers that really uh, were crucial, whose work was crucial to build the Eiffel Tower. Not uh, Sophie Germain, even though her work was fundamental there. Uh, here you could see in Paris, this is very fuzzy. 
rue Sophie Germain. So this is the rue Sophie Germain, but don't confuse it with the Boulevard Saint Germain, which is. <laughs> okay. And, and here's a nice story because it's, you feel that, Marie, that Sophie Germain was inspired also by, uh, by her own mathematical heroes. So, um, the, uh, Sophie Germain was communicating, corresponding with Gauss, who is another great of mathematics. Um, about her work in number theory, but she, she used a pseudonym. She didn't want to tell him that she was a woman. So she used a pseudonym, Monsieur Antoine Auguste Leblanc. That's how she signed her letters. But then when Napoleon invaded Germany and uh, she knew that uh, Gauss was one of the towns that were occupied by the French army, she worried about uh, Gauss, that the same thing is going to happen to him what happened to Archimedes 2,000 years prior. Archimedes, after the siege of Syracuse, uh, as you may know, that he was killed by a soldier on the beach, even though uh, the general Marsilius had given orders, you know, you don't touch this guy, I, I want him alive because he wants to use his <laughs> skills to develop weapons of mass destruction or something. And um, so she was worried that the same thing is going to happen to Gauss. So she had some connection with the army, some family friend, the General Pernetti. And he happened to be in that uh, German uh, town. Um, so she told him to take care of, of Gauss, not to, he should not be harmed. So General Pernetti went to Gauss. He said, Mademoiselle Sophie Germain requested me to ensure your safety. Gauss said, who is Mademoiselle Sophie Germain? Because whenever she wrote Gauss, she used Monsieur Antoine Auguste Leblanc. So eventually she wrote him a letter to Gauss saying, I am Sophie Germain, and uh, she's the same as Monsieur Antoine Auguste Leblanc. And here you see Gauss's reaction. How can I describe my astonishment? So I, I, <laughs> I find the story very, uh, very amusing. And so this is Archimedes and this is Gauss and Sophie Germain in between. One woman I admire very much that came century before Sophie Germain. She was a feminist feminist, um, trailblazing. Emilie du Châtelet, she was a companion of Voltaire. People say she's, she was his mistress, fine. Voltaire was a polemicist, you know, it, uh, you know him as a literary figure. But Voltaire took it upon himself to defend Newton. Newton had, had uh, discovered calculus or invented calculus, but there were many detractors of calculus at that time. They didn't believe this infinitesimally small uh, quantities and all this stuff. So, so Voltaire took it upon himself because he was a polemicist. He was intervening in everything, criticizing and giving his blessings to kings of Europe, etc. etc. So he decided to defend calculus that you know that Newton is right. Think about it. That. <laughs> A philosopher had to, or a philosopher had to defend the maker of calculus. But Voltaire didn't know anything about calculus. It was Emilie du Châtelet who knew the mathematics. 
And Voltaire said, she dictated, and I wrote. <laughs> uh, he admitted later. And <laughs> I like this thing. Voltaire, what, what she said, Voltaire was a great man whose only fault was not being a woman. This is what, <laughs> immediately. And then uh, a century after Sophie Germain, you have Emmy Noether. Now, major contribution, algebra and mathematical physics, I mean, her laws of conservation laws and symmetry is now the, the, the bread and butter of any physical theory, if you will. Uh, this is Albert Einstein's eulogy of her. Um, that uh, he, he really thinks that she's uh, the most significant creative magical genius. Um, Emine Terre is typical because she suffered two kinds of discrimination. First one because she was a woman, and second one because she was Jewish. So really she's so a double whammy for her. She worked in Erlangen. She, she taught there, but we didn't pay her for seven years. They allowed her to teach because her father was a famous mathematician. Okay. But with, and then she lectured at Göttingen when, uh, where um, Hilbert was there, but she was not allowed to lecture under her own name. Hilbert managed to sneak her into the classroom to teach, but under his name. Okay. So it was Hilbert's course taught by Emily Noether never promoted to full professor, which is amazing considering now what we know about her mathematical heritage. And in 1933, she was thrown out of her university with the rest of the Jews. So discrimination all the way. <laughs> a third kind of discrimination. No one had made a movie about Amy Noether yet. So I think this is overdue, and it's going to be, it's, it's a heck of a story. Um, Göttingen philosophers against her appointment, you see the, in the Senate there were philosophers and mathematicians and scientists. So what did they say? What will our soldiers think when they come back to the university to study and find they are expected to sit at the feet of a woman? And Hilbert answered, I can't see why the candidate's sex should be an argument against candidacy. After all, the university is not a bathhouse. That was David Hilbert. So you see, great mathematicians always could see beyond the prejudice and, and, and really support the talent forever it is. Last but not least, uh, Tragedy of modern time, Maria Mirzakhani, Iranian mathematician and the only woman ever out of 48 Fields Medal, probably given so far, even more, to win the Fields Medal. She just passed away a few months ago uh, at the age of 40. Um, well, denied again. Because of her gender, she's, uh, in a way, a modern version of uh, Amy Noether. Because of her gender, she couldn't get, I mean, she was married, she's married to a, a Czech mathematician, American, of Czech origin. 
And the citizenship in Iran can, does, is not, cannot be transferred by the mother, only the father. So they wouldn't give Iranian um, citizenship to her daughter. She tried to get it to her because she wanted to go and visit Iran. That was, of course, before the Fismel and before. So she was denied citizenship for her daughter because of her gender. But at the same time, a few months ago, as you know, Mr. Trump made the travel ban of a bunch of Muslim countries. One of them is Iran. And it affected people like I had students, postdocs, supposed to go to the U.S. to get jobs, etc. They just were stranded in no man's land. And uh, even Iranians with uh, green cards, they, they, they wouldn't dare leave the country because they were afraid not being let back in. So it really affected many, many people, this attempt of a ban. So I don't know what's the status now because there's so many courts that got involved in it. That, so, but still, so in a way, she was denied freedom of travel because of her original nationality. Two types of discrimination. The fact that she won the Fields Medal, the fact that she uh, died so gradually, so young, uh, you know, ended up being a catalyst for change and reform. In certain way, we hope so. This is what you don't see here. You don't see here is the Twitter handle of the president of Iran, Hassan Rouhani. So he tweeted this. Okay, it's congrats and making us Iranians very proud, which is nice and ordinary and I mean, expected. But what's not expected is that, look at the pictures that he put on his Twitter handle. Two pictures of Maryam. And one of them was no cover on her head. So that was a major political statement that the president of Iran accepts that Maryam has a choice in terms of not covering her head. And of course, it reverberated. This is an Iranian newspaper also that put pictures of Maryam without covering her head, that means accepting that it was her choice. So she broke all kinds of stereotypes. First woman, field medalist, and, uh, but she was such an amazing person. Humble, modest. Uh, did I get the signal or, uh, okay. Anyway, I'm done. They just announced that the, uh, in Iran, the Faculty of Science, where Maryam studied her for undergraduate degrees, now it's a faculty of Maryam Mirzakhani. And I, let me conclude, before Jackie gives me the signal, uh, something that Stephen Jay Gould, Gould said, and I think it's really relevant for this talk, Few tragedies can be more extensive than the stunting of life. Few injustices deeper than the denial of an opportunity to strive or even to hope by a limit imposed from without but falsely identified as lying within. Uh, this is, of course, applies to Mariam's stunted life, but also to everyone who was denied 
an opportunity because of race, nationality, religion, gender, or sexual orientation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your talk. So uh, I have a question regarding uh, the Soviet Union and the situation of with the Jews. So what was uh, your actually claim about uh, these people on the list and the camps or whatever? Because the uh, uh, Jews from uh, discrimination in terms of they couldn't actually get into Right? This is the, the biggest discrimination of uh, uh, Jewish people in Soviet Union was one, from a academic point of view, of course. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely, this is one of the main uh, discrimination. But, but also they were denied exit visas. Uh, many Jewish uh, mathematicians were uh, invited to international math congresses. They were not allowed to go uh, get uh, prizes and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's all kind of discriminations. I just didn't want to go into details because I assume that most of you uh, know this aspect of, uh, of, of things. Uh, yes, there's lots of confusion about, uh, I mean, many uh, mathematicians are assumed to be Jewish even though they're not Jewish and many non-Jewish. And so uh, there's lots of um, confusion about these things, but still, there's a huge number of uh, Jewish mathematicians that really were discriminated against even before the Soviet Union, as you know, it started in the, la in the century before last, so. Yeah. Um, if I'm allowed, I can ask two, but, uh, but the first one is more relevant and the second one is a little bit tangential. First of all, thank you for an excellent you know, presentation. I've, I would have thought that the two, two superstars that could have been added to a future presentation, that is Gail Cantor and Alexander Grothendieck, yes. uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the various uh, aspects of mental illness and social activism. Yes. The other thing was that there is a field of, in sociology, of sociology of mathematics, which, uh, I was just going to look up who the person is, but she, she's, I don't think she's a mathematician, she's a teacher of mathematics education who holds that mathematics itself is racist. And uh, this is part of post-structuralism and uh, this is probably outside your field, but this is where we get into another area of, of, of imposing ideas from individuals, you know, the, the history and then and putting it into the subject matter itself. So I don't know if you'd like to comment on that, but perhaps just on the either of those questions or both if, if you can. Thank you. I didn't get the second part. So uh, just, just the idea that, 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 that the actual mathematicians themselves, the history of mathematics being mostly from, coming from ancient Greek and European, inherently she claims, uh, and this is part of this, again, this field of, of post-structuralism, post-modernism, that, that makes mathematics itself as a subject inherently Racist. It's very, oh. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a very interesting point of view. Um, the first one, you're right, especially about Grothendieck. I mean, Grothendieck should be there because uh, 
well, first, he's a giant among giants. Second, because of his uh, social activism, activism for you know, peace and um, uh, sustainable world. Uh, and then uh, thirdly, also because of some kind of mental illness that he had to endure at the end of his life. Because uh, he retreated in a small town in France and uh, uh, where he was just um, planting uh, vegetables and eating uh, uh, for 20, 30 years after you know, his major achievements in mathematics. So yeah, you're right about that. Uh, I know Cantor's mental illness, but I know about his social activism. As I said, I'm not a historian of mathematics. I just I had this, uh, te this thesis about my own thinking about values. I mean, why I have been sensitized about these issues. Uh, and I think that mathematicians played a big role about it. Now, if somebody's telling me that uh, the mathematical culture uh, is um, um, racist or, uh, or is already uh, uh, jeopardized, then I'd have to worry about maybe putting some guards. But um, yes, I did not, uh, maybe I should, uh, I did not um, talk about, but as I said, some aspect of some mathematicians really also were. You have the anti-Semites and they had the racists and, uh, and I, I chose not to, uh, to talk about this and I think we should talk about them also in parallel. That was not my thesis. Um, but here, look at this. John Derbyshire, columnist, National Review, 2012, that's very recent. Look at his writ, what he wrote. Blacks are intellectually inferior to whites. There are no black winners of the Fields Medal. This is civilizationally consequential. If this is what this person is talking about, yes, we have something to worry about, that really only certain races can practice mathematics or should practice mathematics. I think that's why Mariam broke so many taboos. I really think that this is the ultimate counterexample that the first woman mathematician was not from the Western world, was from Iran. I, I really think this is uh, something very, very um, major blessing because it breaks many, many taboos at the same time. Again, I'm not a social scientist. I am not switching careers. I like my mathematics. Uh, this is just my some few personal remarks. I hope you you found them entertaining. Uh, the stereotype of mathematicians is that they're only concerned with what's pure, what's theoretical, which is what mathematics is. So, how does concerning yourself about social social justice and what mathematicians their role in social justice? Why does that concern you, and how does it inform your work as a mathematician? It does not inform my world as a mathematician. I think there's a bunch of stereotypes about mathematicians that I try to uh, break. Here. For example, that we are nerds, that uh, uh, what distinguishes an introverted mathematician from an extroverted mathematician. That's a common joke, is that the 
extroverted mathematician looks at your shoes when he's talking to you as opposed to his own shoes. So there's lots of stereotypes that really, that's why I tried to show the activist side of some mathematicians. And for me, this is where I come from. You're right. I mean, your question, right? I don't want to talk about myself. But in the last 25 years, as Jackie said in the introduction, I found myself in a position where I had to fight for mathematics. Fight is a big word probably here. It's no risk, but um, I had to really get, uh, you know, get involved on the national level and state level and uh, mobilize communities, argue with government uh, uh, about mathematics, about the need of mathematics, and about, about diversity in mathematics, about you know, many issues. So I, I did, uh, in my academic life, um, go beyond my own research papers and publications and teaching. I, I, I definitely uh, was a, an activist, uh, but mostly for mathematics research, funding, promotion uh, in the school, high schools, outreach to industry, and also diversity. So in a way, this, is, this comes from my own experience. I mean, it's some, because sometimes I wonder, I'm, that's, that's why my, my daughter said, you're super, you know, you're supposed to be a nerd. Why are you a hellraiser? Well, I'm not the only one. This is really the beginning of my, the gist of my talk. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. For more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney underscore ideas.